Oh. <laughs> I'm a little slow. Good Wednesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is Real Talk with Keith Smith. Thank you kindly for joining us on the I Love Seville Network. It's great to be with you on a fall, crisp Wednesday morning here in downtown Charlottesville. This show airs on every social media platform known to mankind, and it's dynamic, where you, the viewer and listener, can offer perspective, ask questions, and help shape the discussion of the program. So very excited for today's show as Denise Ramey is in the house. If you know anything about real estate, you know she is a rock star. If you know anything about the Ivy or Western Almoral markets, you know the brand Denise Ramey. Judah Wickhauer is our director. If we could go to the studio camera and welcome, as I like to say, our pros pros, Keith Smith and Denise Ramey to the show. Friends, good Wednesday morning. Good morning. Good morning. Denise, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being here. The title of this series is Lessons from Legends, and you are a legend. And uh, so for the two or three people who don't know who you are, tell, that, tell everybody a little bit who you are and about yourself and, and how you started and where you are and how come you're a legend. Well, you're very kind. Um, we were talking about Keith being a legend prior to the show starting, um, so he can tell you a little bit about why <clears throat> we called him legendary. Um, I got into real estate 17 years ago. Prior to that, I was in corporate America as a sales VP. Um, I love selling. I like dealing with clients and not worrying about HR issues and and managing a lot of people. Um, I've built an amazing team over the last 17 years, many of whom I hope are watching. Um, We're able to do what we do because of the amazing team that we have. Um, I live in Old Trail, but we sell all over Central Virginia. I'm really proud to say that um, we were ranked the number eight medium-sized team in the Commonwealth of Virginia in 2022 for the entire state. And we're small. We are five selling agents and three support staff. So we were thrilled to understand that we delivered that kind of volume. And we're only able to do it because we have such amazing, amazing clients and friends who send us their business and trust us with their referrals and other agents around um, the country and Virginia who trust us with their friends and family. So it's a great business. We love it. It, um, it makes our job easier when we're dealing with pros, and we're very fortunate. We have a lot of pros that wrap around our lives. In, in my case, it's my better seven-eighths, which is, which is Yona, uh, which keeps me straight. And then he keeps me straight. So I've got two people in my life keeping, keeping me straight. But I was asked this question um, a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, before I did the CEO. And I was asked, what was my why? Why do I do this? So why is your why? Why do you get up every morning, put on your Batman outfit, and go out and help, help folks uh, buy and sell? What, why do you do that? What's your why? Well, I love it. Um, I love to succeed for our clients. I love to cross the finish line and deliver an amazing um, transaction or an amazing process for our transactions. And so it's so gratifying to me when we help a client buy or sell a home. It's most people's biggest investment. Um, It's something that we take very seriously on my team. Um, We feel like we do the best job we possibly can. And 
my report card is our reviews from clients, and I'm really proud to say we've never gotten less than a five-star review on, on any social media platform or Zillow or Realtor.com. So for me, it's crossing the finish line and, and making the client happy and helping them make the investment in their future, build wealth, um, and if they're leaving the area, uh, make as much money as they can in the least amount of time on their home sale. Yeah, so my, my answer was we get to help people with one of the three re, three essentials for a trip around the sun, right? Food, clothing, and shelter. So we get to help people with one of the requirements. And it's never about the money, even though that's good. It's about helping people achieve these goals and move forward and forming these lifelong of relationships, right? I, I know you well enough to know most of your business is referral, right? You, most people, you help them. You, you know, you're such a legend and a rock star, and they just tell other people because that's how our biz, business works. I, I do want to take a little dive into your little, not, not that it's not your niche market, but but you know Crozet like what is it? The Pope knows holy water. That's my saying. Uh, that's his saying on it. So I just ran some numbers. This be slide number one, uh, Judah if you don't mind. So when when you search on Paragon for the Crozet area, you can't really just search for Crozet, right? So for those out there looking at this, what I do is I select Western Albemarle High School, right? Because that kind of gets me that area on it. But if you take a look at it, you know, since 2019 to 2023, we've jumped in sales. This is a single family detached, no new construction from 510 to 800. But just in the last year, to the same time, uh, from the beginning of January to now, we jumped 65K and 9%. Where do you see the market going out there? It's interesting because we're, we're kind of on the precipice, I think, of uh, a transition. And we get asked this question all the time, you know, is now a good time to put my house on the market? Should I wait till January? Should I do it now? Um, I defer to the experts, and I fortunately, thanks to Carr bringing in Dr. Lawrence Yoon, who's the National mm -hmm. Association of Realtors Chief Economist, and Ryan Price, who's the Virginia Association of Realtors Chief Economist. They came to Charlottesville last week and talked to us about what they think is going to happen. And I think we in Charlottesville are in a little bit of a bubble. When they talk about the state and when they talk about um, nationally, we kind of have to pay attention, but also understand that our market is a little bit different. It's the beauty of being in a college town, in a beautiful area. But that's that, a, doesn't that always sometimes hurt us, though, a It depends. Bit? It depends. I'll tell you that during COVID, it was a blessing to be here because everybody wanted to leave Northern Virginia, Seattle, sure. California, sure. come back to where they went to school or where they had family, could live comfortably, work from home, and have um, beautiful surroundings. Um, but I would say that according to Dr. Yoon and, and Ryan Price, they feel like obviously the inventory challenges are going to continue. People are rate locked and those who refinanced, which is a huge percentage of our population, um, are really reticent to give up a 2, 3, 4% interest rate. 80% of the people that have loans right now are 5% or less. 4% uh, or lower is the 4%. Extra. Thank you. 4% or below. See, like yeah. I said, Jerry yes. Miller and my wife. 80% of American homeowners have an interest rate of 4% or lower. And an interesting statistic hit this morning that um, demand is at mortgage demand is, is at a low last seen um, in 1997 yeah. for mortgage demand. And our sales obviously reflect that. So what the experts are saying is 
this is this log jam is going to have to to break at some point because life happens. People have babies. People get married. People get divorced. People have job changes, and these are all things that influence buying and selling a home. If you're living in a home that you bought five years ago and you've had two children since then, it really doesn't matter what your rate is if you need another bedroom or two more bedrooms. So they're predicting that the log jam will break. We just don't know when. And interest rates are supposed to stay about where they are. Just under seven percent is what the projection is by year end. We'll we'll see, right? You know, that's all. We, we actually have crystal balls here. We should take oh, out, but 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 um, you know, and I, and I spoke to Lawrence after that, and I actually spoke to him when I was in D.C. because I was on a panel panel with him and Dr. Lisa Sturvin. These were also the same people last year saying that we weren't going to go over four percent exactly th- this year, right? So you know, there there is that kind of caveat, that that little bit of grain of salt to add to it. But historically, if you take a look at these cycles that we've been in, and you and I have been around long enough to, to, to see that, um, generally, you know, I think at some point the Fed's probably going to raise another point, another, excuse me, another uh, rise, probably another quarter of a point up on it. They might hold it. They may do two more. But I think you're going to see in between the end of the first quarter and the second quarter next year at least a stabilization of the rate. But you're 100% right. Uh, you, you, so you mentioned you have... Um, Four listings today. Congratulations! Four listing appointments. Four appointments. Yeah, okay. Well, you'll have four listings. So I know Thanks you. Thanks for your vote of confidence. Well, I know you will. But but we're having listing conversations with people at the table that are panicking because of this very reason. They have to buy. Excuse me. They have to sell and they have to buy. Had another kid. A divorce, which seems to be. I don't know what it is. That seems to be an uptick on divorces. I don't know if you're experiencing that. Not personally. Thank you, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Denise, that was hilarious. I knew you were going to get there. Uh, she's got uh, people giving her props people right now. people are panicking, though. Stephanie Wells-Rhodes is giving um, Denise some love, saying, Good morning, Denise, from the WDI team and Robbie at American Pass and also the Interstate Service Company family. Yeah. Michael Buchensky from First Heritage Mortgage is giving Denise some props. He also has this comment. I think people are starting to come to the realization that the rates are higher um, than 7%, and that's going to be the new norm. So if they need to buy, that's the reality people are going to have to get used to because it's probably not going to change anytime soon. Since 1972, it's 7.1% is the average. I mean, if you think about it, 7% in the grand scheme of things is still pretty cheap money. Uh, the first place I ever bought right out of college was at the Bills at Southern Ridge. It's a rental. I think it was six and an eighth. Um, still have it. If you can lock in your monthly payment, you're going to come out ahead because let's cut to the chase. Rents are going to go up 5 to 8% every year. When is a good time to buy? No. People may not want to hear this. Now is a good time to buy because anytime you're going to renew a 12-month lease, your landlord is going to jack up your rent every single year, 5, 8, sometimes double-digit percentage points. A lot of folks are asking Denise questions right here. Let's get to them. Leslie's watching an old trail. She says, I'm concerned about the infrastructure. Uh, I see that my equity is, is significant, but we're also seeing traffic and infrastructure be a point of concern. Can your guests speak to this? Yes, um, I would say that any uh, in any of the um, planned growth areas in Albemarle County, that's going to continue to be a concern. I'm concerned that the county isn't ahead of the infrastructure game, knowing that we have three designated growth areas in the county. Um, I don't understand how you can plan for growth but not plan for the infrastructure to support the growth along with it. So I share that concern, Leslie, but I will tell you that um, 
the desire to be in Western Albemarle is still very strong. I think people appreciate um, the schools in Western Albemarle, although they are busting at the seams, and I think we've got to do something about it. This school board election, I think, is is very, very important, and I understand there was a lot of interest out at the field school um, last night with um, the candidates. I'm sorry, I couldn't be there. My son turned 28 yesterday, so that was more important to me. Um, but I, I share that concern. I, I do think that Old Trail is is doing a good job internally with keeping up with the sidewalks and the roads and the the parks and, and the things that they need to continue to attract home buyers. And the walkability of a community like Old Trail is huge. We see people make buying decisions all the time um, for that community versus another community because they like the fact that they can walk to GRIT or ACAC. Um, we have a friend who's living with us right now who unfortunately is in a wheelchair suddenly, um, and he's able to leave our house and roll down to ACAC for PT. Um, I think the more we can build communities like that going forward, the better it is for, for people who enjoy living in a community like that. But, yeah, it's definitely a concern, Leslie. So to play off a comment that Jerry's made multiple times on the show, you know, HO and I, I should have brought the slide with me, but HOA communities tend to sell about 18% more than non-HOAs. So is, is Old Trail Roads VDOT, or does, does Old Trail maintain and take care of those roads? Do you know off the top the of your head? The main roads are VDOT. The alleyways are um, HOA Got maintained. It. Got it. So back to, the, to the, the infrastructure question, that's why HOA or planned urban development or um, uh, subdivisions are so important because the developer then builds the internal sidewalks, the the, the, the uh, walking trails, so forth and so on. So there's interconnectivity within it internally. I think part of the question is once you get outside of it. But let's let's face it, whoever's running for school, whoever's running for uh, county seats, elections matter. They got to be prepared to spend the money, mm-hmm. right? They've got to make those hard decisions. Well, they're collecting enough tax money from us. And we have a surplus every year. So my question to our board of supervisors and our school board is, what are we doing with that money? And there are a lot of a lot of answers that that I don't love, but those are the questions we need to be asking. Amen. And so part of, I'll, I add a little context to that. And if Neil Williamson is watching, he'll 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 correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of the problem that they have comes from the state because we're a Dillon Rule state. Unless that money is allocated to something, so that's why CIP plans are so important, capital improvement plans are so mm-hmm. important, they almost can't use that, that cash, right? So they have to make sure that they have their systems in place so that if there's an X dollar left over, that then they can go. They Either the, the school board or the board of supervisors then can allocate that money. Neil Williamson is watching the program. You have two boards of uh, supervisors in Albemarle County watching, two city councilors in Charlottesville watching, a board of supervisor in Nelson County watching, a planning commissioner in Albemarle County watching, Heather Walker, the queen of Johnson Village, watching. Olivia Branch has given you props. Johnny Ornalis, the restaurateur, giving you props. Bob Yarborough and Redfield's giving you props. Kevin Higgins, I'll get to your comment. The feed's literally on fire right now. Well, um, and, and to your point, though, Keith, so builders have to pay proffers to the county when they are building a home. And one of the concerns I have is those proffers aren't designated for the area that they're paid in. So, for example, if we have... Um, 50 new homes delivered in Old Trail. 
those proffers that are paid go to the county to be used wherever they want to use the money. It's a slush fund. And I think that's wrong. That is I wrong. I think if you're buying a home in a community and the builder is paying a proffer in that community, the money should be invested in that community. Amen. And so those are, I understand what you're saying about the Dillon rule, but I think there's, there are a lot of opportunities so for that money. So during the rezoning process, uh, that could be done, as you well know, this law has changed on proffers, right? So mm -hmm. there's some old proffer money from the old law and the new law. So technically, right now, the county can't ask for a proffer. It's illegal for the county to ask for a proffer. That doesn't mean that the developer can't willingly uh, offer proffer, and that's where we're at right now uh, because that got changed at the state state level. But to your point, you're 100% right. So the developer, uh, there's a project we're going to talk about on Friday in Green that didn't pass. Um, on it, on, and there was proffers in there that they were going to make certain improvements to infrastructure that was very specific to the project. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that has to do with how that's negotiated between the developer and builder now. Back in the old days, they just would give give me 12000 or whatever amount of money, and you're 100% right. That slush fund or that pot of money um, is sitting there, and it, some of it is getting used. I got 650000 of it to put 23 affordable housing buyers in a home last year. Including my son. That's right. That's yes. right. I forgot about my that. My 26-year-old son who works for AHEP took advantage of the community land trust and the affordable housing that you've helped create. So I appreciate you and Greg Slater walking me through that process. And But that started with me knocking on the door of Ned Galloway, Donna Price, and saying, look, you've got this pot of money. I want it. And we've parlayed 650 into 23 23 homes so it can be done but it should it could be done better without a doubt Kevin Higgins watching the program please tell Denise Ramey the students and families of Henley Middle School appreciate her support throughout the years she has been there for them every single time we have asked thank you from all of us in Greenwood for Denise Ramey right there from Kevin he's a football coach he's a parent I believe of two or three um, questions are coming quickly here. This one from uh, Buchensky, Michael Buchensky, saying, talk um, if you see a potential bubble with Airbnbs on the horizon, if that could potentially um, add inventory to the market and loosen this throttle of inventory that we have currently. So is he asking people creating Airbnbs or, or those selling? that are in the Airbnb um, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. realizing that this market's becoming very difficult and strained because it's saturated and the county's putting perhaps more restrictions on them mm -hmm. that they could come on the market now, which would help loosen this tightness of inventory we have. Do you see that as a possibility? Possibly. Um, I mean, I get questions every day. One of the listing appointments I'm going on this afternoon, she's an investor. And she sold a townhouse with me last year, and she's wondering if it's now a good time to sell another townhome. But on the flip side of that, you know, I reached out to one of my investor clients yesterday and said, hey, I've got this great townhouse. Are you interested? And he said, not at the current rates. And so I said to him in my text back, prices are going to keep going up. Oh, yeah. So if you make a buying decision now based on a rate, but yet your price goes up another 10% or 20%, for a home you might buy next year as an investment, are you really making the right choice? So I've not seen that dynamic, Mike or, or Jerry. Um, I've not had clients call me with that question. It's certainly a possibility. I think where we're going to see, um, where we're seeing relief right now is new construction. New construction oh, yeah. sales have gone through the roof. Um, where it typically in the past has accounted for 10 to 12% of our overall sales volume, it's now over 15%. 
it's still a very small number, so that's not going to help us with the inventory shortage that we have. Don't you see that plateauing a little bit? Yes, and what was concerning to me that we heard from the chief economist for the National Association of Home Builders last week um, was that builders are pulling back. Yeah. They're pulling back because they're seeing less demand because of the interest rates, and also um, they're not seeing any relief as far as getting approval. Uh, yeah, or you can't get a project approved, right. and it takes you six years to get a project approved and go ahead and do this. So um, just so that you know, uh, year over year, Albemarle County, is I didn't do the percentage, but uh, it jumped up $5,000 a townhome. So mm-hmm. if you would have bought a home last year, this year you made basically $5,000 on, on average. On average, for that, look, um, you're you're hundred percent right on that end of it. But there was another thing. Maybe if you can talk a little bit about we, you talked about a couple of the opportunities to help loosen up inventory a little bit. Um, so this was revolving around what the feds could do, mm-hmm. potentially, and revolving around mom and pop investors. Do you, do you remember that conversation a little bit? No. Got it. So, um, so uh, the look should have told me, and I should have pivoted. So I apologize. That's okay. Um, ten thirty-one, mom and pop. Ten thirty-one. Uh-huh. So changing to ten thirty-one exchange because what's happening is people that have bought investment properties two years ago, they're exceeding the two fifty. They're exceeding the half a million dollar mm-hmm. maximum the capital gains. Capital gains. Yep. Thank you very much. So, so you know, there's a way that maybe make that an incentive so this investor can sell it and they're not going to get it. So that's one possible way to do it. Well, I'm passionate, as you guys know, about the National Association of Realtors PAC, the Political Action Committee, which I know is a dirty word to many people. But I invest a lot of money with NAR and our PAC because the only thing they lobby for are property rights issues, for our clients, for homeowners, realtor party issues. And right now, to your point, Keith, one of the things that NAR is lobbying the federal government on is exclusions to the capital gains because prices have gone up so much that people can't afford to sell a house, not as an investment, but your primary residence. If you're in Northern Virginia and you bought a home 10 years ago and it's now worth a million dollars more than it was worth, people don't want to sell because they don't want to incur that capital gains tax. So NAR is lobbying right now to have some exclusions for the the limit on capital gains so that can free up some inventory. Um, And I'm excited. I go to the national conference in November, and we'll hear a lot more at that point in time about the opportunity for success with this happening. They seem to have a lot of bipartisan support because everyone knows we need to to help with the housing um, inventory, but also... If you're looking at that kind of a gain in home values, you've got to do something to encourage people when they do sell um, to not be killed on the capital gains based on the the increase in pricing that we've seen. What do you think rates need to drop to get someone like me with the 2.75 to consider taking advantage of eight or nine hundred thousand dollars of equity? When we saw the market really slam on the brakes was when it topped six percent. And Mike Buczynski can probably speak more to this, or maybe you can, Keith. You're great with all these the data. Um, but that's when we really saw things slow down. It was like last October. Um, in Charlottesville, we really didn't see as much of a slowdown until the spring. But the yeah. rest of the state, all my peers around the state said, June, July, August of last year, um, sales activity just stopped. So if we look at what the interest rate was then, that'll tell us 
you know, when it, we had the most impact. And I think it was around when it topped 6%. And, and that is a common sense approach to the way to look at this, because you're 100% right. It's probably 6%. I think we're going to Zillow be survey, um, Zillow surveyed, um, I think it was uh, 47,000 yep. uh, homeowners. And they said they needed that, um, that interest rate to drop between 5 and 5.5% five and for them to consider sacrificing a sub 4% rate to capitalize on the equity they have in their respective homes. And I don't uh, agree with Zillow often, Yeah, but that's probably a good. Well, I, I think it's closer I've, to six, to yeah. be honest with you, because I, I think the, the need to move is there. And as I started saying earlier, we have listing appointments that we can't get folks to put homes on the property because they're panicking mm -hmm. on, I need to sell, but I can't, and where I want to go. And, I, and the conversation around the kitchen table as well, 6% I can handle. Right. I just put a townhome on the market in Georgetown Green for $345,000, which is considered affordable now. Uh -huh. um, the client has updated everything, new HVAC. I mean, it's all the, you know, all the mechanicals are all move-in ready. We've had two buyers that one submitted an offer and then backed out when they realized um, how much more their monthly payment was than when they had started their home search. Unfortunate they didn't realize that prior to writing an offer. And then the second agent, who I called this morning to say, hey, are, are you planning to submit an offer? You told me you were, you were planning to, to bring me an offer. And she said, no, um, my client, when he did the math again, and they were ready to buy over the last several months, now doesn't feel comfortable that he can afford the monthly payment. This is a $345,000 home. So you know we need to get people into these homes, and we need some some kind of relief for them to be able to afford to make it happen. So we're, we've got a two-edged coin here, right? One side is, is we're trying to figure out where the mortgage rates are going to land. The other side of the coin is what the hell are they going to buy, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and without, without an increase of supply, I just think, I personally think our inventory crunch we're in right now, and push back if you'd like, is we're five to ten years before it gets better. And that's what the experts are saying. I will tell Look you that, that huh? our days on market last year for our listings to sell was nine. Yeah, yeah. Our days on market this year is 15, and that feels like forever. Yeah. But if I look back, you know, two years ago, it was 60 days or before COVID. Um, so we're still in a seller's market, and for us to feel like we don't have enough inventory because we don't is, is an accurate feeling. But for something like that townhome to be sitting on the market for two weeks and not have sold yet is a direct result of interest rates and what people can afford. So what's, what's the new balance market with uh, DOM, uh, buyers and sellers, days on market? Six I'm, months is what everybody says. I don't think that's market I, I don't Is a market that. balance. Are we 30 to 45 days now yeah. for a balanced um, market? I would say more like 60 probably. Okay. Because we're seeing homes that sit on the market 30 to 45 days that are still selling for less price. Yeah, I'm going to push back a little bit. I think we're less than 60. Do you? And I think we're somewhere probably closer to 30 to 40 days because we just talked about one, right? It's been on the market for, what, two weeks? Mm -hmm. Two months ago, six months ago, a year ago, that would be on the market for, what, two minutes? Right? Yeah. <laughs> we, were we were judging not days on market but minutes on right, market right. or seconds on market. Um, but you're 100% right. You know, if you just take a, a look at the attached homes in, in Western Albemarle, our last three years we were eight, five, that's slide number 10, Judah, 
um, is eight, five, and five, right? Back in 2020 and COVID, we were up to 38 mm -hmm. on that end of it. So look, so at this point, you're probably going to have a conversation with your client. Is it price? Is it what are we doing? Right? Yeah, at some point, you're going to have that conversation that at two weeks, you're starting to think like that. I've, that's an unheard of thing to, in two weeks to go, well, we got to start thinking about something else. So I think we're probably closer to 30 to 40 is a neutral market. I don't think we're ever going to see six months again, uh, particularly in the next five to 10 years unless inventory picks up. When you can't get a project approved for 500 units in Greene County, what are people going to buy? I think the appetite for development in central Virginia oh, yeah. it's um, done. is, is uh, eviscerated. Yeah. Um, I just don't see... You're seeing this in Crozet. We're seeing this in Charlottesville. There's a lot of folks that have been burned where we've prioritized development over strategic infrastructure. We're seeing that with schools, with roads. I mean, Green County's got a water mandate. Well, the, the problem, the problem with that, Jerry, is, is this developer would have fixed the water problem out there. Green County and local got, government is telling homeowners that they cannot take baths mm -hmm. right now or water their lawn. Well, yeah. we just got notification from Albemarle County that they're encouraging. Yeah. Um, well, we're in, we're, in a, we're in a drought. All the jurisdictions are going to start doing that. This is a normal precaution that they, they go through. To talk about the green water mm -hmm. thing, because I know quite a bit about it, the reason they're there is because of the problem they have with the RSA and the 10 years plus of lawsuit to get their warm water system. But if you live in back. green and you get that letter in the mail, what is that going to do to your perception? Yeah, it wasn't handled well. I can assure you that much. Donna Patton gives Denise prop. She says, people do not realize how much realtors do for homeowners' rights. And she's giving Denise some props right now. This question's coming to feed from Grayson in North Downtown. He says, I see uh, Denise Ramey's listings all over when I'm driving to and from work, to and from the grocery store, or driving my kids to and from sports practice. Can you ask her her thoughts on the city of Charlottesville and whether she's bullish or bearish? on what local government is doing to a town that I love so dearly. He lives in North Downtown. <clears throat> That's a difficult question. Um, I feel like Charlottesville is, the Charlottesville real estate market is succeeding in spite of what the local government is doing. Um, and that, it goes back to demand. It goes back to location. Um, I don't feel like we are... Um, Again, planning for success in the city of Charlottesville. I feel like there are a lot of opportunities. And, you know, I have to give Neil Williamson credit for this. He's watching. Neil does a great job educating us on what's happening um, with local government throughout our footprint. Neil is there representing the realtors at every meeting um, that has anything to do with real estate or not um, with the county and city governments. Just last week, we um, or two weeks ago, we interviewed candidates who are running for the Board of Supervisors in Louisa, mm -hmm. Fluvanna, Green, Albemarle County. Um, the realtors interviewed these candidates and asked their questions. We asked real estate-related questions about what you would do if you're elected, how will you address the Green County water issue was a hot topic of, sure. of discussion. Um, development. And we, as um, a group, decided who we were going to support with realtor um, invested money in our pack. So we are asking a lot of difficult questions of those who are running for office because there is a lot of frustration with regard to how real estate issues are dealt with at the city, the county, the local counties um, level. I feel like 
assessments. We've had the assessors come and talk to us about you know, how they determine assessed values of homes. I'm meeting with a client tonight who bought their home for $530,000 two and a half years ago, and it's now assessed at seven fifty. dollars um, Now, they had made some improvements to the home, but that's a 50% increase in value. On top of the tax rate increasing as well. Right. So sustainability, as far as being able to live in our beautiful area, is. is really being challenged. And so... Was it Kevin who asked the question? That was Grayson, Grayson. North Downtown. Grayson, um, I, think it's, I think it's a challenge, and I think we have to ask tough questions. We have to push back, and we have to get people engaged in the, in the process of who we elect as our um, city council, as our board of supervisors. Elect- because- elections matter. Mm-hmm. Very well said. I mean, how about this? How can, can city council say we prioritize affordable housing while at the same time increasing the real estate tax rate while tax assessments went up and personal property taxes go up at the same yes, time. because they're literally creating gentrification yeah. through policy. Yeah, it is hypocrisy. It's, it's, it's a simple math problem. They have a budget of A. They only, in my county, well, I think it's 97% or 95% of all the tax dollars that come in off of rooftops. Right? We have no business to go ahead and tax. So you've got a budget. You've got to pay all your things. Your, your time's in, you've got value of a house, and you just got to get the rate to match so you can pay your bills. It's that simple on it. But look, the, the reality we'll of. Cut some things out of the budget. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, cut yeah, some yeah, things yeah, out of the budget. Yeah, yeah. Run the business like I run a business. Yeah. Run the government like Denise runs it, like you yeah. run it. Yeah. Or we like don't you have run your home constant. budget. Yeah. I mean, we, if we don't have the we money, have to, we can't go yeah, there. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, but let, let me jump in here for a second. There it is. But we also, just, common sense. we also just talked about the government spending money to do infrastructures. So where the hell is that going to come from? Right? So, so, so this is a very delicate triangle, right, that we have to architect a little bit. Back to have developers can help, and, and if there's a better relationship between jurisdictions and developers, developers can help, right? They, they can help do the infrastructure. Find me a developer that wants to build in the city of Charlottesville. Chris Henry wants to do 400 apartments on Preston Avenue, and he's literally stigmatized yeah, so all by these, citizens of this community. Exactly. So all, all Chris needs to do is do nothing. Because eventually the, the zoning rewrite's going to happen, then he can build what he wants to build. But instead of being partners, so this is why I put a ton of my time into the Regional Housing Partnership and the Land Trust to try to bring people together and have a conversation. What do we do best for a living? What do Negotiate. we do best? There you go. And that was what I was talking in front of all the CEOs, the major CEOs, your CEOs for your company up there is about how to negotiate, how to bring people to the table to help solve this very problem. But I think we also need to have balanced government. We need to have both sides of the table at the table to have tough conversations. And I feel like we've lost that in in, It's an education thing, Denise. City of Charlottesville and Almore County certainly have. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate enough to moderate the developer incentive program. We had 20, Neil was there, we had 26 people around the table. So we had all the elected officials, all the nonprofits, all the for-profits, everybody in the building development space was at the table. And I asked a question at the very end of it. I asked um, Keith Lancaster from Southern Development. I said, Keith, tell me how much does it cost to develop a townhome lot with 70 grand? Then I reached out to Laura, who was Stanley Martin Holmes, one of our great sponsors. I said, okay, tell me how much does it cost to build the house that your son bought? He gave me a number. 
And I know right now, in order to hit 60 to 80% AMI because as of the land trust, that sale price can't exceed what, 215? Mm -hmm. I right? think Kyle paid 225. 225. Well, we yep. charge him with a lecture because of you, right? Because he was my son. <laughs> right. But, but no, so it was 225. But that was at an interest rate of what, 5 or 6%? Yeah. So today, that's not 225. Today, that's 200. And yeah. the rate's 727. Yeah, right? he closed in December. So the so. delta between what your son can buy and what the cost is is 150 to $175,000. Mm -hmm. That's what we're missing. Yep. And every one of the elected officials in that room's eyes went, like, wide open. They had no clue. I don't even think... They had no clue, look, Jerry. They didn't know. Mayor Snook is my friend. His office is 30 feet that way. I see him three to four days a week. I have to be careful with him because he corrects Three to language. four days a week and have a conversation with him. Three to four days a week. He's my friend. We were talking about incremental citizens that are going to move to this community through the biotech school, the data science school, yeah. the Louisa County um, Amazon Web Services, $11 billion investment that's on the horizon. The fact that um, UVA is expanding enrollment and hiring more people to handle that enrollment expansion. And he legitimately did not know that the biotech school was going to add two to 3,000 additional people to this So area. you're only making like, Legitimately did not know. And I said, Mayor Snook, Here's the press release from UVA. But you're, you're making my point, Jerry. What, what's the, that's the, the point the, the point was is that we have to educate them because they didn't know. That's not what Lloyd does every day. We do this every day. These elect, Ned Galloway doesn't know, Donna Price doesn't know that. And that's why we had, at least that's what, the way I approach it. We have to educate them and the light bulbs went on. Where are eight to 10,000 additional people who could be moving here in the next six to seven years going to live? Great. So what all that's going to do is put pressure on Denise and I because once this goes down to 6% and all these people come in, th these things, things are going to trade like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and things, But there's not going to be an increase of inventory. The panel I was on, I had CEOs from uh, Miami, uh, Austin, I can't remember two other things, our AMI, area medium income, was higher than everybody else's thing. Our AMI is at 123,300, area medium income. I think Miami's was 90-something. Miami, Miami-Dade, you would think, you know, there's a lot of money there. I mean, you're a Florida. I'm a Gator. Yeah. I'll tell you that we probably have a list, and I'm just going to spitball it here, but we go through a list every, every Monday I meet with my team, and we talk through what listings we have coming up, what listings we have coming on the next week, what homes we have under contract. We probably have a list, and Jill will correct me if she's watching, of 200 listings that are in the queue. That's exactly right. That half of them are, you know, I've been talking to these people, and it may be more than that. I don't even know. But I've been talking to these people for years. Jill is watching. And many of them are just waiting for either the right house to come on for them to make the move, which is obviously a challenge, or the right time for them I mean, money-wise, they're all in good shape if they want to sell right sure, now. Sure. But they either have nowhere to go or, again, they're very concerned about giving up what they have. Yeah, so when that interest rate drops and the emotional end of this kicks in, your 200 or whatever it is, you'll probably have some intersales, right? Because mm -hmm. somebody from here is selling, somebody from there wants, wants to buy it. But if we have that issue, yeah. then how many of my peers out there, if you add all yeah, of that yeah. up, that would give us, gosh, I don't even know how many... Thousands, if you take you know the top 25 realtors, if each one of them have 200, 300 clients they've got on their list, 
I mean, that's a huge, huge amount, huge amount of. But inventory. it's not going to make a dent in that the numbers that Jerry's talking about. Right. The, the numbers that Jerry's talking about. I spoke to Louisa County Board of Supervisor. Um, I won't utilize his name. Friend of the program, known him for almost 20 years, was instrumental in helping me launch my business 15 years ago. And he said he expects somewhere between 900 and 1,200 direct or indirect jobs yeah. with the Amazon investment. Oh yeah. 900 to 1200 not all those folks are going to live in louisa i think spring creek is going to be as hot a community i think people get ready to see what happens to spring creek it's already happening i think it's going to happen with albemarle it's going to happen with charlottesville it's going to happen with the counties close to amazon but that many i know for a fact i'm playing squash with the guy who's funding the data science school you're looking three to four thousand tied to the data science school of new people coming to this area direct and indirect I mean, I, we, I just don't think local government is prepared for Some what's coming are. down the pipe. And I'll tell you, when we did these candidate interviews two weeks ago. Was it Brad Rickle? Um, he, he didn't come. Um, the three people we interviewed in Flavana County were three of the sharpest people I'd ever heard. Yeah. Young, um, young to politics, great ideas, business focused, homeowner focused, you know, builder focused. And I said, gosh, I wish those three people would move to Albemarle County. And run here because everything they're focused on is what I feel like we need to be focused on here. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think they have much of a chance. No, they wouldn't. But it was just really eye-opening and refreshing to see. No, I'm talking in Fulvana. Oh, the people that um, that we interviewed, you know, how in tune to the issues they were and yeah. how concerned about. Yeah, there, the same there's a huge um, swelling of, of, a, of a minority of people, frankly. Um, that are just very vocal about anti-housing and anti-growth. So on on Monday was nine. I'm sure it's a minority. I'm not. Yeah. It, well. Well, agree to disagree on that one. Yeah. Um, Catherine Lochner watching the program. She ran for school board. Um, she's very invested in the community. She asked about the Rivanna Magisterial District um, and and its upside, its potential for growth. I'll offer some insight and throw it to the pros. Pros here. Uh, that's B. Lapisto Kirtley's district. She's running for re-election. She's the incumbent. She's being challenged by T.J. Fadeley, uh, who's come on this program in the past, on this network in the past. Um, you have B, who's running for a second term, Malik and Rickle in the Whitehall district. If Malik wins, this would be her fifth straight term. We're talking 20 consecutive years, potentially, for Ann Malik on the Almore County Board of Supervisors. I don't... Maybe we throw out the phrase term limits out there, but 20 straight years for one person on the board, this is me talking, this is not them. I find that to be concerning, a travesty, uh, a silo of power, um, and, 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 and I, I'll leave it at that. Well, 20 because years. the rest of the words that are going to come out of my mouth aren't going to be as yeah, pleasant. Right 20 there. years is a great time if you like all her decisions. If you don't 20 like 20 straight it, years. Yeah, 20 years. Well, and Brad's got some great ideas. Brad, you're welcome to come on the program anytime you want. I sincerely mean that. But she has undoubtedly name recognition in this district. So well, you, and I'm disappointed that Brad didn't come to our candidate interviews. Um, so we had an opportunity to interview with him, and, and he chose not to come. Or I don't know if he had a conflict or what. It would have been interesting to hear what he has to say, because I live in Old Trail. Right. Um, so I'm keenly aware of, of the challenges that we face. And I will tell you, the, um, the term limits, I think, is great. And all aspects of our government, not just our local government, but um, so I, I can tell you, you, we have it on boards that we sit on, right? 
There's yes. term limits on boards. Yes. Every board I sit on, there's a term limit. You can only be a chair for so long. Governor Yonkin can only do one term. That's exactly right. And then he has to come off. He can run again after he sits off. I mean, why don't we have this at the local level? Um, just throwing that well, out there. The, the real, you have a the real, of realtors watching. The real right question on that is, and, and we know what excites me about the list that you just said, they're contested. Yes, at that's least, the thing. At least we have contested elections. Right? You're not going to have that here in the city of Charlottesville. There's no contested election. We had contested this past term. You well, and I'm proud of Emily no, Dooley, who's a, a realtor, who stepped up and ran for the school board for the city of Charlottesville. It's a tough thing to do when you're a realtor. Um, you know, people ask me why I am not more involved in some of the positions I, with the county. And it would be political suicide, really, for a realtor to take a strong position one way or the other. Oh, maybe that explains a lot for me, huh? Um, well, no, and I feel like I invest my time yeah. with our, you know, in other areas. I'm, I'm thrilled to have served oh. on the Virginia Realtors Board. I'm, we wouldn't have... Uh, we would not have worked through COVID if it wasn't for you and your team. The Virginia Realtors Lobbying Group, and um, at the time it was Governor Northam. Um, Governor Northam agreed that we were considered an essential business, and our peers in other states weren't so lucky. North Carolina and Pennsylvania were shut down. And, and, and that's a testament to you and your group and the work that you've done to try to keep that going. Same thing with the health insurance, right? You yeah. were very instrumental in, in that. Not me personally, but I will uh, tell you, we, we have a great leadership team at mm -hmm. Virginia Realtors, and we have a great lobbying group. Martin Johnson is our senior vice president, or COO. I don't even know what his title is now. Martin's an amazing lobbyist, and Mary Lawson. Um, they've got relationships you know, going back decades with, with many of our elected officials. But the challenge we face this year is 144 of our seats are going to be new people True. who have no history with the realtors, um, with veterinarians, with the hospitals. And so they're going to have to be educated all over again about our key issues. So it's more important than ever that we have strong lobbyists and strong so support. The, so the pushback on term limits would be that. Right, that because as somebody, and this is one of my consulting gigs as a developer. You know, this You're is going to talk about institutional memory. Institutional memory, right? There's yep. institutional memory where I'm the institutional memory for Altmore County or Charlottesville or Greene County is a scary thought. A lot of that can also be handled by hiring some staff or training people. Or I mean, having processes and protocols in place, like we run our businesses. Here's the manual of what to do. I mean, that's literally what we do here. Yeah, it, it's called onboarding. Yeah, I mean, that's not that difficult. Uh, Catherine Lochner says, my niece and husband were able to buy a house during COVID lockdowns. Thank you guys for that opportunity. She also highlights the TJ Fadeley meet and greet on Friday night at Freebridge Auto. Um, many people are saying this, these elections coming up are extremely important. Here's a fantastic question for Denise from Spencer. Um, his family is in the uh, mix for buying a house, which he's highlighted on the show many times. Uh, Neil says, before I get to Spencer's comment, because this is topical, Virginia General Assembly is losing 600 years of institutional knowledge in 2024. That's from Neil Williamson. Spencer makes this comment. Is this the most difficult time for a first-time homebuyer to ever buy a house? Or as Jerry likes to say, was it during peak COVID when people were using cash, waiving appraisals, and home inspections? I think it's equally as challenging now, Spencer, as it was during COVID um, because of the interest rates and because of you know, the financing term changes. It's definitely less competitive when it comes to multiple offers. I'll tell you, I had 
I sold a house in Woodbrook last year that we had 15 offers. Um, now I'm putting houses on the market, and we're excited to have two or three offers, um, unless it's you know a unicorn. So the market has definitely turned more in favor of buyers when it comes to not having to waive inspections, you know, not having to give your firstborn child to be considered. Um, so it's definitely less competitive on the offer front. It's more challenging on the financing front. So I think it's probably about the same, but it definitely feels better. Um, I can tell you the buyer's agents on my team, one of them, Jessica Goins, she and I were talking couple weeks ago and she said Denise I have 10 buyers I've been working with for two years Mm -hmm. two years to find a home and we've submitted offers on multiple properties and thankfully they're hanging in there with her because she does a great job taking care of her clients but it's just crazy but that used to be the norm though Denise right you know I've been in this since 1987 right and I wasn't born yet then I know I, I know that I know that I know that some of us old people We'll, we'll remember those those days. So, you know, years working with the client was not unusual mm-hmm. on that end of it. You know, th- the fact of multiple offers of more than one was like, oh, my God, right? So, so you, you know. You priced it too low if that was the case back then. You priced it too low. With, without a doubt, you went, oops, I made a mistake yeah. on that end of it. So, you know, I, I think we're somewhat, as far as doing business, a little bit more of a, a more balanced market on that end of it. It's less but, frenetic. But once you hit 6%, we're back there again. So bye now, Spencer. There you go, Good luck. Yeah, best of luck. Um, And thank you for watching the program. Well, when's the right time to buy and when's the right time to sell? Now? Well, I think the right time to sell is whenever you're ready. Yep. Because there's no bad time to sell right now. I have clients say, oh, should I wait till January or the spring? I've heard that's the best time. Our second busiest month for closings was December. Yeah. So there's no bad time now other than avoiding a holiday weekend to come on the market. So let me, let me ask this question before Jerry jumps in, one from the feed. Um, are we back on a cyclical cycle, right, or are we still off that cycle? In other words, you know, spring market. We're some, still off it. Yeah, I mean, any I time is a good time because yeah. we have no inventory. So Will it return to a seasonal market? When we have inventory. You, you think it will? Or has the... Uh, has the ubiquitous and approachable nature of the internet and digital media made seasonality a thing of the past? I don't think it's made it a thing of the past. I think it's less important than it was. But the school year dictates a lot with families. And so we still have that dynamic at play. Um, And then the university's hiring in our area. Um, Well, to Jerry's point, all these schools come in, Amazon come in. There is no cyclical... Uh, anymore, I, and I think again until we get this inventory change, which I think is five to ten years. I think we're closer to ten years out on it. It gets longer the longer we sit here. Yeah, yeah I know. Well. You were five to eight like he a few minutes ago. So I caught a fish I this big. <laughs> <laughs> Just know I'm paying attention to what you're saying. Kevin, <laughs> thank you, Kevin Quick, the agent watching the program. He says unbiased vision is extremely rare and yet so greatly needed. He's giving you some props right now. Um, this question's come in um, from Jennifer, who's watching the program in Belmont. She says, Jerry, bring up the theory from the UVA economics professor that watches your show, and please ask that question of Denise. So there's, um, there's a, a number of the professors are now watching the program. It's being shared on their, um, 
on their uh, e email thread, our 12:30 show, and one of the econ show econ professors has reached out saying he thinks the next trend that's going to happen is the homeowners that have these massive amounts of equity in their homes are going to start leveraging said equity for the next purchase mm -hmm. while converting their current residence into a rental property. He thinks that's the next trend that we're going to see. And he thought, you want to go anywhere on that topic? Sure. I mean, I think that's definitely, um, definitely a possibility. I'm seeing it right now with people who don't want to have a home sale contingency. So they're leveraging the equity in their home to make a cash purchase and then sell their home later. So that's the dynamic that I'm running into um, consistently. But I, I definitely think that, you know, an economist is smarter than me as far as what might be a trend. Um, I'm not seeing that yet because most people want to take the equity they have in their home and, and invest it in their next primary residence. But I think that can definitely be a possibility with people that have a lot of equity in rental properties. Um, I, I would see that happening more than their primary residence. Keith, thoughts? Are you seeing more cash transactions than loan cash transactions right now? Well, my client base is a little older and a little more affluent. What are you looking affluent. at me when you said that for? Well, affluent we're the same affluent. age. You know that. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. So I'm, I am personally in my business, probably about 30% of our transactions are cash. I would say the buyer's agents on my team um, who are younger and earlier in their, their business cycle than I am, probably less cash and more um, financed. How about home inspection, uh, waiving, or anything? Are you seeing anything along those lines? What we're seeing now is more home inspection for informational purposes only, which gives the buyer the right to cancel without penalty, um, more so than we saw in the past. In the past, it was, you know, waived inspection, waived appraisal, waived everything, and, and we're seeing less of that now. Um, Sarah Hill-Buchensky watching the program, Katie Pearl watching the program, eight firms locally watching Denise and Keith on Real Talk today. Questions coming in, Keith? I see the wheels turning. Yeah, I, I, I almost almost don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Home inspection for informational purposes only. What the hell does that actually mean? Basically, you're looking for major issues that aren't identifiable as you walk through the home. Um, it gives the, the buyer the right to cancel. and That's assuming they don't, they don't cross all that stuff out in it. Right, but if it's my buyer, it gives them the right to cancel because they're doing the inspection to find any hidden issues. Um, and honestly, very few of my buyers have canceled with that yeah. contingency because we do a really thorough job when we're walking through the house. Yeah. I'm not a home inspector, but I'm trying to point out everything I see that's wrong with the house, not to dissuade them from buying, but so they can go in You're with their, their eyes job. wide open. You're doing your job. But, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think it's a good tool. I mean, I wrote an offer last night for a home in Old Trail that's 11 years old, and we're still doing an inspection, even though Craig Builders built it. Sure. We know Craig is a great builder. They no do doubt. a great job. We didn't see any issues. I actually had the home listed previously, so I know it more than I would you know, a typical home that I'm representing the buyer for. Um, but we're still doing a home So inspection. all it really means is you're not going to ask the seller to make any repairs. It's either a pass or fail, right? right. If You've got you... a fogged window. We're not going to ask you for it. You've got a settlement crack that looks like it's, you know, drywall. or Correct. But if you roll onto something more. Mold or crawl space issues or foundation issues. Correct. Absolutely. And you're such a pro. You'll stick your head under the crawl space. You'll know. Oh, no, I won't. No, I won't. Especially with all the copperhead talk that's going around now. Roger Voisinet, hello. He's watching hey, the program. Roger. 
Roger, jump in with any questions you may have. Bunch of mortgage brokers um, watching the show here. This has been an interesting question um, that's come on the feed. Um, this is from a real estate investor. Uh, he asked this question of Denise. Do you think the 2024 market is going to be synonymous with the 2023 market? And if it's going to be different, how so? Well, we've already seen a decline in transactions um, year over year. Overall, the market's down about 27% in Virginia. So, and that's not projected to change because the dynamics that have created this market um, are obviously still in play. So, I'm expecting us to probably stay flat when it comes to number of transactions. I can't believe we would go down anymore because the inventory levels are starting to inch up slowly and days on market starting to inch up slowly. Um, I think pricing is going to have to, um, these increases that we've seen, I don't think we're going to see that again um, because we're starting to see, um, again, the market move towards not a buyer's market, but more of a, a buyer's market that we've seen in the past. Well, I think the definition of a buyer's market is not the same as it used I to be. I think you have right? buyer fatigue. There's sticker shock that's happening right now. I think that's what you got going on where folks are saying, you know, hold up, let me see what's going down and let me pump the brakes a little bit. I'm going to renew my lease for another year. Yep. We're hearing that for sure. Um, well, I'm waiting for interest rates to drop. I've got buyers and sellers, right? I'm not going to put my house on the market because I want it to be at 6% because that's the number they're tossing around. I don't want to buy until it's yep. 6%. But, but Mike Buczynski and Ryan Schuett are two of the lenders we work with a lot. And mm -hmm. both of them say, and I'm sure you've all heard it, date the rate, oh, marry God. the house. And it's kind of, you know, it's cliche, but if you're renting, you're paying 100% interest, which, you know, that's money that is not doing you financially, and you're not building any equity, you have no tax write-off. So, yeah, it's challenging, but I think we have to help buyers understand the alternative. Rents are going up exponentially, or Very they have. Right. I mean, so if you're going to pay 15 20% more in rent versus buying, I think it's, it's a conversation you definitely have to have and a lot of education. Year over year, single-family detached, no new construction, in the Crozet, this is the Albemarle, you're 18% off mm -hmm. versus yeah. last year. So you're down 18% on the volume of According sales. According to CAR, second quarter, year over year, 2022 Q2, 2023 Q2, values appreciated 11%. And I, I, I would challenge the year over year comparison to last year. We were still in a really strong market through June of last year. So what my team and I are looking at when we're looking at year-over-year -year performance, we're going back to 2020, 2019. How are we doing against 2019, which was the you. last normal year? And so I think it's... 17%. Yes. So it, it's a different story when you look at the last normal market we had. Um, we're still down, but in pricing... 13% on 2020. 2021 was the big year difference. Right. That right. was, I will tell you how much that was. So was to answer his question, I feel 35% like... 35% difference from 2020. We're more in a 2019 yeah. market, but a slowing down 2019 market than any of the past um, three yeah. years part of that. Yeah, I actually think we're closer to 2016, but uh, 2019 is, is about right. So um, <clears throat> Thomas has got this question. The cash investor who's a real estate um, investor... Um, talk to the advantages that they may have in this market? 
Well, a cash investor typically, I mean, you can still ask for an appraisal, but nine times out of ten, there is no there is no appraisal. So when you're looking at a competitive situation and your cash versus a financed buyer, especially one who's financing 90%, 95%, um, when I'm educating my sellers and we're looking at contracts, I'm, I'm sharing with them that that's an opportunity that we can avoid um, a surprise. Typically, when you have multiple offers, you're not going to have a problem with an appraisal because you're providing the appraiser with the competing offers, which obviously says this is what the market says the house Unless is you're worth. in Richmond. So I would say um, the biggest advantage with a cash buyer is time to close, which can be as little as three weeks. Um, you're just waiting on title typically for that time period and the lack of an appraisal if they aren't specifying that they the contract is contingent upon appraised value supporting the price. Eric Thompson watching the program. His family's in the market for buying a house. He said that on previous shows. He says, I will challenge that rents cannot go up any higher due to income <laughs> staying the same. Yeah. Anyone, anyone want to push back on that? I'd, I'd push back slightly on that. It's not necessarily a pushback. It's it's just the fact. It's there's just not enough. They're going to go. I think what you're going to see, and this is, I I know this nationally, there is an overbuilding of multifamily apartments in in this country. You're going to start seeing the multifamily nationwide get a little flat. Not in our marketplace because just not enough of them. I think Lawrence's statistic, or or the woman from the National Association of Home Builders, is yeah. it's already started. It's already the started. Is already it's, there. It's already, but th- but that's a national number. Locally, it's it's very it's very different. You're going to see the single family attached and single family detached homes go up because that's what. Let's face it. I mean, what does your buyers usually want, right? Single family detached home, right? The white fence, picket, you know, the whole traditional kind of thing. So those homes are going to go up. They're going to go up, and to to the good doctors, the professor on it, what's going to happen is I've got a half a million dollars worth of equity in my house. I can sell my house, rent it, I'll hold on to it, and turn around, take that half a million, and buy something downtown. Well, I can't. I got to add some more to it. But buy another half a million, another half a million for downtown, so I can walk to the breweries and and so forth and so on. But I'm going to hold on to that house, give it to my kids, put it in a trust. My whatever. son and I had this discussion last night. My 28 year old is in his second home now. He bought one, flipped it after two years, and he bought another one, and he's completely renovated it, done an amazing job with it, and he hates to sell it. He yeah. wants to keep it. There you go. But he can't afford to do what he wants to do next. I mean, he's probably got $250,000 in equity based on all the hard work he's put into it. Um, so it's a tough decision. Some people have the luxury of being able to do that, but most of the people that we're dealing with don't have that, that luxury. I made this comment more than once. I, I, I think you're going to start seeing, and you've seen it by NARS data, I think you're going to start seeing this conflict between the boomers and the millennials, mm-hmm. right? Because we're in a better position to buy right now because we've got the cash. We've got the equity traditionally built in where my son and daughter, uh, my son-in-law and my daughter moved from Seattle to Richmond. Talk about appraisals. There was a, help me out, Jerry, what was the delta on that? There was a hundred and some odd thousand dollar delta between where the actual appraisal happened and the first one. It was a total screw up. Wow. Truest. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Truest uh, is laying off a lot of people. Yeah, it was horrible. It was a doctor loan. They didn't do a strategic, they didn't listen to me and they did an appraisal too quickly. And we were, we were one of uh, 20 contracts that we won. And I knew all these other 
appointing contracts were going to close in different places, and I needed that to close. So my value got up, and they didn't do it, and it was a it was a long convoluted. But that like, makes me think of another you know another dynamic to the investors' question. Um, one of the things that Dr. Yoon brought up last week was student loan debt. Yeah. And now that the student loan forgiveness starts has, in October, and they're anticipating an even further decline in buyer activity because. These young people with student loan debt were feeling more flush with cash and might be considering making a purchase. And now when that forgiveness ends, we're going to lose those buyers who may not qualify. So if Mike is still... $200 a month is the average student loan payment. Um, you're talking over a trillion dollars of spending taking, uh, taken out of the American economy. Once student loan payments, which start back up again in October, over... A trillion dollars taken out of the American economy. And I'm not saying I disagree personally with, with having people pay their student loans back, but it's a dynamic that's definitely going to affect no. our economy. I mean, yeah, I don't want to get down that road either. Well, the fact I, that, I the fact that they your- got them in the first place <laughs> is, is, a, is a scary right. thing. That, right. That's what I'm more. But if you can ask Mike if he's still, if he's still watching, yes. um, what if I have an X dollar of a student loan, how much of that is credited or negatively credited towards my purchase power? So in other words, I think it's like a 50, 50 dollars. Uh, Scott has said that on previous shows. I'm pretty sure he said it was uh, 50 cents on the dollar. 50 cents on the yeah. dollar. So but if you still, owe a, 100 grand, then it's a 50 grand hit, basically, in, yeah. into your thing. Yeah. I mean, that still counts for something, I guess. Yeah. Well. Um, Denise is a superstar. Um, I hate to tell the viewers and listeners, we are not going to get to all your comments today. Um, we're very mindful of her time, and I want to give her plenty of time for closing thoughts to go anywhere she wants on any topic that she wants with a lot of your colleagues watching, a lot of brokers, inspectors, investors, buyers and sellers. show is yours. Great. Well, thank you for the opportunity to come on and discuss a topic that we're all obviously very passionate about. And as many of you, I'm sure, know, since you're real estate savvy, real estate is, is one of the biggest drivers of the economy. And that's another thing that I think we need to make sure our elected officials understand. When they make decisions, when the Fed makes decisions on interest rates and on issues that affect housing, it affects our overall economy tremendously. Every home sold, the average um, effect on the economy is sixty dollars to $80,000 per home sold. And that means, you know, that affects Best Buy's sales, craft appliances sales, better living's sales for, oh, I want to renovate the bathroom, stellar remodeling gets another client. So every issue that affects housing affects our economy tremendously. So for the realtors who are watching, I would say get involved. Mm -hmm. People ask me why I'm involved as a volunteer and how do I have the time when we have the business that we have. Um, fortunately, I have a great team that supports me and allows me to, to pursue my passions. But I feel like it's our duty to be involved in the community, to give back to the community. I appreciate um, the gentleman who thanked us for our support of Henley and Brownsville Elementary. We feel very blessed to do business in Central Virginia. And you know we're really focused on making sure we give back to our industry. Um, we stay focused and aware of what's happening that affects our industry. We vote for people who positively support homeowner rights, property owner rights, our, our business, our schools. 
We invest a lot of money with our local schools. We give money to Albemarle County Police Foundation. We feel like it's our obligation to do all those things, to invest in the community, to give back to the community, to be educated, and to be strong supporters of homeowners and property rights issues in, in Central Virginia. So if you're a realtor, I would ask, if you're not already involved, and many of you are, thank you for all that you do, um, get involved. If you're not investing in our PAC, shame on you. Um, that PAC is out there lobbying for us every day and lobbying for our clients to make sure that our property rights are protected, our business is protected. So invest in the PAC. Give back to your community. I think realtors are the most philanthropic group of people that I know. When I see all of the things that my peers are doing to support our community, it makes me really proud to be a part of this industry. So those are the things that I would, what I would ask those of you who are listening to focus on. I do really want to say thank you to my team. I have an amazing team, and they allow me to, to do what I'm passionate about. Thanks to Keith for all that he does, and thanks for helping get my son, yeah. who works for AHIP. He works for a nonprofit, and we didn't think he was going to be able to afford to buy a home when we started looking. And um, because well, it's of good the, to take care of one of our own. Yeah, so, and so. if you don't know about the Community Land Trust and you're a realtor, I have to say I was embarrassed that I didn't know enough about it. Greg Slater shamed me um, when I started really? asking Is questions. Really? capable of that? <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> um, but Slater. learn about that so we can help homeowners or yeah. those who want to be homeowners who are making less than our average median income um, be able to, to buy. So thank you, Keith, for thank all you. that you do. Thank you. On that front and many others. And thank you, Jerry, for giving us the platform to talk about these things. Absolutely. It's great. You are awesome. You are totally awesome. So this is that is exactly why this is lessons from the legend. So you're a legend. So thank you very much for, for being here. Back to your point um, about the economy and on what housing on it. Dr. Lisa Servant, who's now with Bright, uh, at the CEO conference I was, was at, was called at 20%. So 20% of our national GDP is is directly related to that and i'm i'm just a high school guy don't have too much of a formal education but i do remember the time of great unpleasantness between 2008 and 2010 when the whole economy was shut down the whole country was shut down that's because housing was mm -hmm. so housing is super important to everything thank you for all you do because without you we would not have stayed working so thank you and f take more credit for the health thing because you are very instrumental in it so Thank you for doing that, and thanks for Jerry as always. But thank you for doing it. This is our first legend lesson for lesson. I'm honored from to be your first. You're thank first. you. That's great. You're awesome, Denise. Thank you. Thank you, um, Denise Ramey, Keith Smith, Judah Wickhauer, Real Talk with Keith Smith. Show archived at realtalkwithkeithsmith.com. We hope you enjoyed the program. If we did not get to your questions, we apologize. It was just absolutely on fire today. The I Love Seville show is up in one hour, where we're going to break some news on the program. And then I'm going to just talk some common sense from a, a government and school board standpoint on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you guys in one hour and two minutes. Two Take care. Minutes. Guys, that was awesome. Awesome. awesome.